Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up with the Elixir Energy team earlier today, Neil Young and Richard Cotty amongst them. If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation that we had, their plans for next year and the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports. There's market commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos. And of course, uh, there are summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a bit of time. And there is a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, safe environment. So do go along and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Neil, how are you doing, sir? Very good and uh, good to be back, Matt. Yeah. We spoke about a month and a half ago, and obviously you've been um, busy beavering away in Mongolia. Um, how are things? Well, first of all, let's start. How are things in Australia? So things are going pretty well here um, in terms of COVID. They're pretty much under control. Um, most of the states now allow people to travel between them. There was some interruptions uh, to that. Um, uh, international travel still very tightly controlled, but. Uh, I think the country is waiting for the vaccine with enthusiasm. Um, we're in summer, and I'm sorry to depress all the Brits listening, but um, it's uh, going sorry a bit better here than it was there. Well, that's good. That's good news. So you're you're still in Australia. No travel plans anytime soon, then? Yes, outside um, the country is not really feasible. Um, we have four directors here from four different states, and uh, I can visit some of them, but but not other ones at this point, and, and and vice versa. Right. Okay. Well, look. Why don't we kick off with that one-minute overview of the business for people new to this story, uh, and then I'll pick it up from there. Okay. The 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 short snapshot is that we are an Australian stock exchange listed company. We're focused on one asset, which is a very large license uh, in Mongolia, just north of the Chinese border. It's a, it's a gas license. Um, we own 100% of it. We've been exploring on it uh, for the last basically two years. It's a brand new license. And over the course of 2020, we've had a very successful run of wells. We've, we've made a first discovery. We've been appraising and exploring since then. And uh, it's been going pretty well, notwithstanding the, the COVID-dominated world that we sit in. Indeed. Um, and again, before we, because we're going to meet some of the team today, which uh, I thought might be a useful thing to do, because relevant experience for not just Colbert methane, but Mongolia, China, and operating remotely. So I think it's, I'd love to get into the detail of that. But again, just some, again, for people new to this, they hear the word CBM or, or CSG, don't quite understand what that means. It's kind of un unconventional form of gas uh, retrieval. So can you explain that for them? So uh, CBM or coal seam gas is basically methane. It's the same kind of gas you burn in your stove or, or, or heat your house with, but it comes from coal seams rather than, than sandstones under the ground. They tend to be shallower than the normal natural gas, which means they're cheaper to drill. Australia is the world's capital of coal seam gas production, and it exports most of that by liquefying it, putting it on boats and shipping it to China and, and other Asian nations. Um, it's also relatively big in the States, but it's been in decline as shale gas has has been an even uh, more potent form of gas in the last decade. But it's still pretty big there. Pretty big, yeah. And you can recover this in large quantities from coal bed seams. Yeah, so in the state of Queensland, there are six separate liquefaction plants that, that process this and ship it to China. So that is a, a lot of gas uh, in total, yeah. 
Okay, so let's meet the team here because I'm fascinated. We asked you a question last time about how do you manage this thing remotely? Okay, you're in, you guys are in Australia. You've got an operating team uh, in Mongolia, and you've kind of got to manage relationships on the ground and potential uh, relationships with uh, China off-takers as well. So do you want to introduce the team? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the uh, Australian um, team on the board. The next time we do this, I'd love to bring in some of the, the, the uh, in-country Mongolian team too. So what we have here today is our, our chairman, uh, Richard Cody, um, a, a very well-known figure in coal seam gas internationally and in Australia in particular. Um, Stephen Kellerman, who is an ex-colleague of mine from Santos, it's a, which is a large Australian oil and gas company, and he founded the coal seam gas business within that uh, company. And our most recent appointment, uh, Anna Slogler, um, based in Western Australia, but originally from the other end of the Soviet empire, as I characterize it, uh, in, in the form of Belarus, and uh, uh, someone experienced in working in resource marketing of, of a different type, but still uh, analogous um, in China itself. Fantastic. Well, Richard, we better start with you, sir. How are you? Uh, very well, thank you. Uh, my wife uh, is stranded in the UK, uh, uh, <laughs> enjoying Advent, but I'm uh, just having to walk the beach. It's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't rub it in. Don't rub it in. She can always pop up here for a drink. Um, well, okay. So you, you've been around the block when it comes to coal bed uh, methane. Um, what attracted you to this project? What are you seeing the potential for? When I first got involved in coal bed methane, I was actually in charge of a power generator and saw it as a potential uh, source of um, uh, instantaneous power. Uh, as a result of that, I joined QGC, which was a Queensland gas company, which was a bankrupt company at the time. Uh, had $20 million in the bank and a uh, uh, cap of $20 million, uh, and uh, no money. Uh, I saw the potential, uh, and QGC, six years later, was taken out for $5.7 billion dollars by BG, which was subsequently taken out by Shell. Uh, look, uh, I, ever since uh, canaries were invented, everyone has known there's methane in coal mines. Uh, and once you run into Welsh boys, uh, it would seem to me a lot more sensible to try and um, uh, uh, capture that methane that is emitting anyway. Uh, and in fact, my first foray in it was Red Bank, uh, it was just a methane drainage for coal mines. Uh, the trouble uh, with coal bed methane, well, the benefit of coal bed methane, methane is to develop it is capital light, uh, but you don't have, uh, the more data you have, the more reserves you have. If you don't have the data, you don't have the reserves. As in conventional, you, you get a structure and you, you, you get an OGIP that is the, the maximum. With coal bed methane, it's... Uh, it really is only how far um, your data extends within the coal seam. Uh, and therefore, uh, you know, every time, for example, at QGC, we found a new market, we tripled reserves. Uh, it was uh, it's a totally different philosophical. But the thing that is wonderful about it is that you can get cash flows early. There's a whole host of ways that you can actually self-generate cash flows for further development, whether that's for small power generation or these days even micro LNG, 
or whatever, um, we were able to uh, develop QGC to a $5.7 billion company uh, with only four or five fundraisings. Uh, and what attracted me to this company was that this is an elephant in the making. The, if the gods of the coal speak the right, if the rocks speak the right language, uh, then we have a major, major area. The amount of acreage about the size of Belgium, uh, risk-reward equation is quite immense. And unlike uh, the early days of CBM in Australia, the market is not a constraint. Uh, and so it's just the rocks that will determine your outcome. But you can do it through internal cash flows, and that uh, means the dilution uh, is relatively minor. For example, when I got to QGC, the share price was 20 cents a share. We sold out at $5.75 six years later. Uh, that's uh, more than a couple of baggers there. Uh, I think it was about 58. But the, the point is that it is one of those things that one of those industries, if you've got the size, uh, and clearly with Permian coals and with extensive um, coals across Mongolia that's been known for many a long year, um, the, uh, the entrails are quite, uh, quite, uh, quite exciting, to be honest. Okay, well, we better. Well, thanks for that, Richard. So you're attracted by the scale of the opportunity and the fact that you're not constricted by the the size of the market, because that's the bit that I'm intrigued by the commer the commercialization of this. You got to you got to be able to sell this as well. So, um, Anna, I will talk to you about that one, but first, I better go to Stephen, the technical guy who's sort of looking at the data. And what are you seeing? I'm at yes. Um you say what attracted me here and what I'm seeing, uh, look, I've been involved in coasting, I couldn't call it coasting gas, uh, 15 years or so, um, back in my days at Santos. And um, in those days, everyone thought it was, I'll call it girly gas. Um, but when I started studying it, it actually has a lot more challenges and a lot more in depth than people realise. So I've known Neil you know, over those 15 years, I guess, um, and he's been talking to me about my goals for the last five or six years. Um, I did a workshop with Neil back two, three years ago, um, had a look at the data, and that data attracted me. You know, there was definitely coal there. And for coal and gas, you have coal. So, and the coal was, you know, quite sizable and at the right depths. What we didn't know is the subsurface, you know, what was the permeability, what was the gas content. But there was evidence of gas from coal mines and other bits of wells that we had. So you had the ingredients. So the ingredients were there. Um, Neil had done a great job in getting the permits, getting the government. So we had a play, and it's just bring that together with time. And it's that size of play, as Richard talked about, the opportunity, and Neil's persistence and dedication to the, to the task, which attracted me to this organisation. So, I mean, you've got permits, which is great. You're in Australia. You've got an ops team on the ground. How do you manage it all? Um, well, it doesn't matter where you are. I look, um, you take... In my previous experience in coal and gas, you're in the office in Brisbane, your fields are out 500 kilometres away in, in, the, in the field. So from this point of view, you've got people on the site that do, that do the on-site work, but your strategy, your understanding, your technical work comes from the office with all the data. So that being 500 kilometres away or 5,000 kilometres away, it actually doesn't matter. 
Okay, but given we, you've got COVID uh, impacting operations on the ground across Mongolia, you've got um, obviously you, you, you'd prefer to be there. You'd prefer to be looking at it, walking. At it. I mean, I speak to geologists, and they'd love to be walking up a mountain um, rather than sitting in an office. So, when do you hope to go out there next, and how do you precisely issue instructions from your desk here to them? Have you worked with them before, for instance? Um, not these, not all these people at the time I've been with Elixir, yes. Um, what you've got is competent people on site. You've got competent technical people. And the communications through what we're doing today is superb. Um, and it's this, this data transmittal. Because think about drilling a coal seam gas well. You never see what's down there. You're drilling through a drill bit. You're drilling through interpretation of logs and other data. You might get a bit of core up the surface and you've got to interpret that through the lab. But you actually physically never see the rock in its presence. So... Being on site or being in the office is not a lot of difference, but you've got to have people run the operation. So, okay. Yeah. Well, t- t- tell me, tell me about this. You, you talk about it, it's at the right depth, um, it's the right size, and it's obviously gas uh, bearing. Um, what are the things that you're attracted to uh, with regards to the the the, the, the coal uh, body itself? Well, right depth, but also the thick coals, um, and some of the wells you've seen the results. We're talking. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 metres thick coals. And that is unprecedented anywhere I've seen uh, in other plays around, around the world, particularly in Australia. The coals are only 10 to 20 metres. Here we're talking 40 to 50 metres. So we've never a thick density of the coal in, in an area basis. Uh, the right depth is also the age of the basin. It's Permian. And some of the key fields in Australia are Permian age. Uh, we've got uh, good maturity of coals. So it's the, the same geological era, and those coals have a history of producing pretty well. Okay. Anna, how are you? I'm good. I'm well. I'm in Western Australia, and I think this is the last part of Australia that is still in the moderate lockdown. So we haven't met personally, we haven't met for a while. So I'm just hoping that after a new year, we'll be able to travel completely. Very good. Is, is that Mongolia behind you? Yeah, it's Mongolia behind, right? Uh, but we actually in Australia, in Western Australia, we yeah. enjoy the most beautiful time. We have a jacarandas in blossom, can't complain, no COVID, nothing. You know, we live normal life. I'm, I'm sorry to aggravate everyone else, but this is this is what's happening here. All we, good. We enjoy it. All good. So, like, you're you're the uh, the new one to the team. What have you I'm been? The new one. What problems have you been uh, brought on board to solve? Look, directors by definition, a generalist. But some of us obviously have more expertise in one areas than another. And I think what do I bring to the board is a cultural awareness and experience in exploration projects in the challenging and developing jurisdictions in developing countries. Um, so there are some aspects that you need to be aware of when you, for example, operating in certain countries with a close neighborhood, countries like China or Russia, because there are certain business practice traditions, you know, people would prefer to work with people rather than corporations and relationships, I will emphasize that, absolutely paramount for successful business ventures. So when the opportunity presented, I looked at the fundamentals, it's exciting opportunity, it's amazing project, fundamentals are very strong from the financial perspective. It's a proximity to Chinese market, which is the largest, fastest growing market. And it's an opportunity to make a difference, you know, to, to make a real difference for the for the shareholders and for 
even people, you know, in Mongolia. Okay, so what point do you start having conversations? Because we understand, you know, from the conversations with Neil previously, that China is the end buyer of this. That's where the offtake's going. It's it's just next, just next door, a little bit south of you. Um, so, ha- what conversations do you need to start having now? Are you able to do them from Australia, given they want face to face, they want to deal with people, and you know, what are you doing to overcome that? So, uh, let me just expand a little bit on that. So, I started working in China when. I started building my first project in New Zealand and it's offshore exploration. So we started working with Chinese. It takes a lot of time, but I visited a lot of steel mills and I signed a lot of off-tech agreements. So I have experience in signing off-tech agreements, negotiating them. This is this is exciting. It's a, it's a very exciting opportunity. However, I just say that. So you need to be at the right stage of the development to engage with Chinese parts in particular for the offtake, because if you engage too early, uh, you will probably dilute your your value for the shareholders. You will not get the good price. So they need to understand that you, as a as a company, at a certain development stage, and then they will be, you know, ready to sign. Because in China, Chinese traditionally do not assign any value for exploration exploration assets. Once you have something tangible, then they understand the business a lot better. So once we get to the point where we can actually demonstrate the solid resource, we can then go and start negotiating the offtakes. But needless to say, you're absolutely right. You need to start building this relationship long time in advance, probably a year in advance. And as I said, Chinese work with people and all my previous networks have been already activated and people can make the right introductions. My uh, my sources in China can make the right introductions to build this relationship with the, with the corporations. So what's the likely outcome of this? I mean, Chinese like to come in and um, take things over, don't they? You never know with Chinese. Look, I think they would like to have, in, in, in my understanding, in my sort of, you know, humble experience, they would like to take a stake, usually not control, but they would like they're comfortable being a silent partner once they get comfortable with the team and with the board. Because we will be a fairly small company for them. The last thing they want is to participate in compliance, governance issues. They would rather prefer to be a shareholder, exercise the silent control over the operations, but not getting involved in a daily reporting, for example, which is, you know, understandable because we we are quite, we will be small investment for them. But needless to say, it's good to have an industrial partner. However, we we still have a way to go before we can engage with a larger corporation. For sure. And should, uh, sorry. In some way, your question is a little bit, uh, why don't you finish a marathon before you've learned to crawl? Um, and yes, there's a vision element here, but let me tell you, the first thing we're going to do is show the commercial viability of this uh, province. Now, that's going to be probably through domestic sales, or maybe possibly Oyotogoi. After that, then it will become your question will become relevant. So there's there's a number of stages. Uh, you, 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 you don't get born and become an adult 
instantaneously. Now, QGC took six years. That's a long time, maybe. Uh, yeah. But you know, there are a series of stages. Vis-a-vis Australia versus China, which you've referred to a number of times, I'd like to make a, a couple of comments about that. We are a single-purpose company which only has Mongolian assets. The Australian government, FIRB, uh, will not be able to stop us from selling our tenements uh, totally to them. So we are not subject to the Australian jurisdiction vis-a-vis if the Chinese uh, came down the turnpike drunk. They won't come down the turnpike drunk until we've actually proved that it's worth, one, paying the toll on the turnpike, and two, uh, the uh, liquor is at least decent quality. Uh, That is going to be a long time. That is going to be two or three stages. When I say a long time, I may be talking two, three years. But what we are now doing is we've moved from a a $5 million company 12 months ago to $100 million. We are making our steps in a very ordered fashion. And in coal seam gas, you are allowed... Because the instantaneous capital is at large, you are allowed to grow organically uh, and uh, get to your question. So I, I, I think that if there's a perception out there that tomorrow uh, we'll be supplying the whole of China, I, I think that perception uh, is misguided. Suffice it to say, that if you have the equivalent of one or two trains of LNG going into the Mongolian market, um, that's a huge amount of capital, a huge amount of cash flow coming in. That's when you get the Chinese premium. Okay, thanks for addressing that. But that the reason I'm asking and pushing on that is because that is a perception. Those are the questions that are coming in. Those are the concerns in the marketplace. So I understand, but I'm an old man now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I've seen it all before. Well <laughs> no, and, and that's fine um, to remind people of the process you've been through and the process you're going to go through. And there, are, there is a ways to go. Exploration companies always do have a long way to go, long um, mm-hmm. run road, and there's money to be made. But it's also important for you guys to address the issues or perceptions or misconceptions in the marketplace. I appreciate oh, that. I, absolutely. I, 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 if, if I sounded... Uh, um, upset, I apologise. I, I was just being, trying to mean to be emphatic. Uh, I have no doubt about what, what is in front of us. I am not upset uh, about uh, addressing any misconceptions. But, you know, you cannot go from in uteri to winning a marathon in in a week. Good point. It, it's... Uh, it's as simple as that. There's a stage of development, gestation, etc. That's part of nature. And the beauty about coal seam gas, coal bed methane, is that you can organically grow from your cash flow because you don't, because it's data driven. As you get reserves, you commercialise that. Again, gives you the the capital to move to the next phase. And each time you to the next phase, you become bigger, you become more attractive, uh, and uh, that is the investment proposition we've got. 
Brilliant. Neil, how did the team do? Uh, excellent, of course. <laughs> Good, good man. Well, look, um, th it's thanks very much for bringing everyone along. It was it was great great to meet everyone. There's obviously a very clear vision in, internally, and it's you know, and it's uh, incumbent on you to project that into the marketplace. So, you've had a little bit of news recently from um, well that, that you've put out. Do you want to just remind us what that is, and maybe perhaps talk about the importance of it? Sure. So uh, over the um, the course of this year, we, we started off with a successful exploration well called Mongon One, and we followed on with a number of appraisal wells in what we call the Nongon Sub-Basin. Ultimately, there have been six wells in that basin, stretching ultimately 20 kilometres um, west to east, and they've all encountered coal at the right depths. So we are now analyzing and integrating that data to see what the contingent resource might be in that sub-basin. But what we've always thought is that this very large license could host multiple sub-basins. So our processes are about continuing exploration and in the success case appraisal in a new sub-basin. And we've done that. The second stage of that this year with our last well, which is about 25 k's to the north of this sub-basin, and we drilled that recently and we encountered, even in a very cheap stratigraphic well, some strongly bubbling coals, which um, host methane, and, and uh, we'll need to do proper tests on those and we'll follow up with appraisal in that new sub-basin next year. Obviously, what I'm also trying to, to, I suppose, convey is that in these unconventional plays, you, you build up a rinse and repeat model. You, you do the same things again and again and again. Um, you do them cheaply. Um, there's, there's still some risk subsurface, but it's a different type of risk and a lesser risk than an expensive conventional well. So we, we're putting that model into place you know, pretty successfully and we're set up to do the same next year and, and the years thereafter. Right. To do that, you're going to need Capital. You we talked last time about some listed options coming um, up soon. Are you seeing that happening? And if so, how much cash are you going to have available to do this rinse and repeat process? So the, those listed options expire at year end and they are, are well within the money. And that's um, been manifest since the last time we spoke with around a quarter of those options having already been exercised. That's brought in a few million dollars to date. Um, if we got half of the rest in, then that's another you know, $3 million. We had some money in the bank already. So um, even absent much more coming in, which I think is a very conservative assumption, we've got enough to prosecute a program next year because going back to our point we emphasize is this stuff is cheap. I mean, these wells cost tens or hundreds of thousands, not, not millions. Okay, and then what type of data do you hope to be able to present to the marketplace? Because you know this is the size of Belgium. I think we said that before. Richard yeah. said it. It reminded us today. It's a huge area, so it's a it's a step by step process, and it's a rinse and repeat process. I get it. It's easy. It's cheap. It's shallow. All the goods and thick seams, as um, Stevens reminded us. But what information or how much information do you think you need to come back to market and present for market to kind of react positively? So in, in the petroleum sector, um, resources are measured you know, fairly similar to, to the metals market, which most of your viewers are probably more familiar with. So we start off with what are called prospective resources, those that you think are there, but you haven't found out that they are there yet. 
And two years ago, we commissioned an independent estimate of those. And given the size of the block, hey, it came up with a pretty big number of around 7 trillion cubic feet on a risked mid-case. Uh, we're going to update that based on the work that we've done, and, and that will come soon. And the key point that I think that will show, although it's you know still in the hands of the auditors, is that the risking has changed because we found out that it is there, at least in, in some small part of this block. We will then go to the next stage of resources, which are contingent resources, those that you've discovered, but you don't know whether they're economic yet or not. And we'll book some of those around the area of our discovery. Then next year, we'll seek to prove economics by doing what's called a production test well, where we'll try to measure the flow rate of gas out of the well. And if that comes out at a reasonable rate, and reasonable, I can come back to what that means, then we can start to book reserves, which are economic um, resources. That'll be a very small number because it's only in a very small part. But what it will demonstrate is the repeatability of it, um, that at least the potential for doing that in multiple different locations. Okay, but you, you've got a clear idea in your head as to where you're going to be allocating your capital. Because, you know, yeah. I think Richard made, made the point, these things can be very cash generative quite quickly if you come at them the right way. So uh, I know it's early days, it's expiration, but um, will you be looking to kind of monetize some of the gas? Are you able to do that? So behind the scenes, uh, we are working on those fronts and particularly with small scale originally, but modular generation, which can take raw gas, which can get pumped into the system. That, you know, there are lines crisscrossing this block, the Mongolian system is a bit short of new generation, and uh, we see that as being the, the logical place to start. That can be quite capital-like from our perspective because there are third parties, for instance, the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development or the Asian Development Bank, who in countries like this are, are purveyors of capital for those sorts of projects which you know, put cleaner electricity into the system than currently exists. And, Right. And Dan, well, like, I mean, is that's where people like Anna come in uh, with regards to, you know, you're going to have to establish relationships in country to, to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've, you know, for over quite a, a number of years, I've got relationship in the country, you know, already. Um, and, and I would certainly complement those and bringing someone into the country who speaks Russian, which is a second language for, for certainly the older generation in Mongolia would be seen as being culturally complementary. Um, rather than just, you know, the, the Aussies or the Brits turning up and expecting everyone to speak English as the likes of me normally do. So um, I, I think we're well-placed to, to push those generation projects in particular quite hard and early uh, in parallel to the in-ground technical work. And, right, okay, so um, 2020, been a difficult year for lots of reasons, uh, operationally, et cetera, but a, a good year as far as shareholders are concerned. So 2021, what are you pointing people towards? What should they be looking at? Uh, and at the end of end of the year, what would success look like for you? Okay, so it'll be moving forward on, on all of those resource category fronts. Firstly, um, in, you know, reducing the risk on the prospective resource and booking initial contingent resource, ultimately doing the work that if, if, if it works, will give initial reserves. And then in parallel, indicating process on the offtake models, such as you know, uh, electricity generation, which can firstly produce cash flows, and secondly, validate the deliverability of the, of, of the resource, 
deliver all of those things within you know, uh, 12 months from now. And the, the intrinsic value of the company will have dramatically increased. And hopefully the share market will reflect that and uh, uh, deliver you know, share price accretion to shareholders. Okay. Is this a case of steady as she goes or is there, are there kind of big moments for ne- in ne- next year's work that you're doing? I think in the nature of unconventional resources, it tends to be more steady as you go. You're never going to drill a wildcat that suddenly has a massive gusher. You're just going to keep doing work and accrete and accrete and accrete. Um, but those accretions, when added up, are, are, are material. Okay. And, and, and so you, you did sort of start to tell me um, what um, substantial means. Um, I'm, I'm trying to understand this of when the economics will become clearer to you and therefore be able to project something into the marketplace. The most fundamental thing that's going to happen next year is our production tests. If the production tests come in at a good flow rate, then the... Uh, it will show how much gas you get per dollar employed, uh, at least in that location. Uh, you know, coal is the most heterogeneous of all minerals, I understand, but nonetheless, um, you know, that will give the market confidence that, that you have something that can be economic. And so that's probably the biggest single milestone next year will be what comes out, what is the flow rates coming out of the places that we select for the production test. The chip holes that we're doing now are trying to uh, determine where is the best chance for us to go. Now, uh, you know, as with anything uh, Mother Nature laid uh, the coals down and the gas within the coals. The one thing about Mother Nature is she was neither German or Japanese. She was never, her quality control was never absolutely precise. More like a British car in the 60s. Beautiful to look at, <laughs> but every now and then it doesn't work. Uh, so, you know, it won't be determined necessarily by one production test. But uh, the um, everything is the entrails across the tables are looking bloody nice, to be honest. Uh, and uh, we will have a, a series of locations where we will have a quite interesting debate uh, within the board uh, as to precisely which one uh, we will go first, because there'll be a choice. And choice and optionality is the key to capitalism. It is. It is. But but I'm interested in what you said, Richard, because you you, you were because some companies do tend to spread themselves thin. You're very clear. We're going to pick one. The thing we the one we think is going to be the winner. Prove the um, production tests work, and that should be enough mm-hmm. for the market to to what will you be raising money and off the back of that? Confidence that it could it can be replicated. Then the march goes on um, to prove that it is able to be replicated. Now, let me just say, it, whatever we get in well A will not be replicated to the nearest uh, decimal point in point in place B. Uh, and let me also make it very clear uh, that you have to crack the code. And so often your first world is not your best well because you haven't 
fully understand, understood the geological parameters. And so the next time you uh, uh, assess that new information you've got and technically attack, uh, attack it um, in a more optimal fashion. Uh, this is, uh, yes, a rinse and repeat, but it is very much like the Enigma code. It has to be cracked. It does take, uh, you will learn on each new data you learn. Data drives coal seam gas. Very good. Neil, anything to add? I think uh, just to, picking one of the points that Richard made in, 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 in that statement there, and that is it's dollars per flow rate not an absolute flow rate. I mean, the, the well costs here are a fraction of what they are, say, in a, a high-cost country like Australia. So you might have what objectively seems to be a lower rate than some claimed by an Australian company, but if your well costs are a fifth, then you've delivered a better result. So obviously we need to educate the market to that effect. It's about economics. It's not absolute rates. It's not, it's not winning the Olympics through, through a sprint. It's having the best rate of return. Fantastic. It's shareholder returns. <laughs> That's all I'm interested in. What he said. <laughs> the ingredients are there. In the last 12 months, we've gathered a lot of data and we are gathering the right data. You know, we're not cutting short. We make sure we gather the right data. And those ingredients are as good as you're going to get in this business. And we're just building on that. Beautiful. Anna, Richard, Stephen and Neil, thank you very much for your time today. That's given us a better picture of what you're building, what the opportunity is. And Richard, thanks for kind of bringing it back to what's important, which is obviously shareholder value. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Rich. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.